Hey, hey, Star Wars fans, it's Gary here from Spark of Rebellion, and we would love for you to listen to all of our brand new episodes when they land every single Saturday. Make sure you follow us on your podcast app of choice or pop over to sparkofrebellion.com forward slash listen. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that via our Patreon. Just head over to sparkofrebellion.com forward slash Patreon and come and join our other patrons. And thank you so much for your continued support. Now, may the force be with you and on to this week's Spark of Rebellion. Hello there. Hey, hey, Star Wars fans, and welcome to Spark of Rebellion. This is your weekly Star Wars podcast, rounding out the latest news that's happening in a galaxy far, far away, as well as reviewing the latest stuff that's coming out. Point in question is the Mando, which is rolling out weekly at the moment, so we're on to our review this week for Chapter 12, The Siege. I uh, hope you listened to last week, where we rounded out our review for Chapter 11. That was pretty good to see what our thoughts were on that, and what our predictions for this week, which kind of came to fruition in a way so it's going to be good to chat through um, this week's episode hope you guys will keep in safe and healthy my name's gary your host for this week and joining me as always is my co-host my partner in crime the extremely good looking the guy with the fresh haircut it's mr mark asquith how you doing buddy yeah i see what you did there you uh you took last week you learned from it and applied it but i appreciate that and it's uh, it's nice to hear some some things some home truths actually so I appreciate that, man. I'm all right, though. I'm all right. A little bit croaky today. Um, on the beers. On the beers, yeah. Been on the lash. Been out breaking those lockdown rules. Went out with uh, Cummins last night. Me and Cummins. Uh, drove down a Chasers. Check our eyesight out. Got smashed. <laughs> drove back. Check our sobriety out. Um, apparently, that's just how. You, that's just what you do these days. You can get away with it um, if you put a table in the garden and face the press. So, <laughs> otherwise, outside of that... All right, thanks, mate. Yeah, yeah, not bad, not bad. What about you? Doing well? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing well, thanks, mate. Yeah, that's been a, it's been a good week for um for Star Wars. You know what? It's one of those times where I'm really like just loving the fact that they've they've not jumped, they've not dumped all of the Mando down in a big binge mm-hmm. style thing. I'm just really loving that anticipation because they've done a really good job. Let's be fair with a lot of other TV series. I remember when Game of Thrones was going through the motions, especially in the last two seasons. There was just leaks everywhere like every day there was like a load of photos were leaked storylines leaked all the you know the whole thing but these dudes the old uh, the old lucasfilm bods the number bods they're doing a really good job man of just keeping everything under i mean i'm sure if you go digging around if you were uh, if you really went looking for it um there might be the odd thing that you could find but for the most part man they've done a really good job of keeping it under lock and key so yeah i'm just really loving that anticipation of getting around to the next episode it's mint man and uh, last week we said that as we rounded out the first half of the Mando for episode four, effectively, we were we felt like it was going to be a bit of a filler episode, this one. So you guys will find out if we were correct or not on that one. But dude, I haven't done anything too much Star Wars. I did build that other little Lego set that I mentioned last week, the little Death Star uh-huh. set with, uh, with Obi-Wan and the little, um, uh, the little dude that complains about no guardrail. As he's sitting on the Death Star cannon controls, so that's really cool. But I didn't get round to the speeder bike model. Unfortunately, I had other other stuff to do. Um, and I also need to. Um, I also mentioned that I was going to crack on with some Star Wars reading. 
sorry to let you down, guys. I didn't start any Star Wars reading, but I did plan out what I'm going to read. So I, I picked up my Goodreads list. And I think the next book that I'm onto is going to be Alphabet Squadron, I think. So that's going to be the next one. I'm just fin- finishing up a book at the moment. Nothing Star Wars, a bit boring. It's like a productivity, good rest and, and all that stuff. It's a bit bit, uh, bit geeky. So once I've done that, I'm onto Star Wars, dude. So that's been me. Have you done anything Star Wars? I know you're busy at the minute, mate, with like fresh housey stuff, but anything? Oh, I'm always reading, dude. Uh, I'm the same as you, just finishing off some stuff. Alphabet Squadron's a decent one. Um, so he's, he's, Alphabet Squadron, Squadron's one of those weird ones, like because it's such a raft of new characters. You know, there's a couple of ones that you'd recognise in there, but such a raft of new characters that I, th- I feel like it's one of those that you enjoy probably even more than the, f- the first time. You enjoy it more the second time because you kind of know the characters a little bit. Um, so there's, there's far less exposition that you've got to consider. But yeah, you, I think you'll enjoy that, man. It's very scrappy. Um, <clears throat> from my side, no, it's not been that much Star Wars. So I'm still, I read kind of before bed just to knock me out anyway. So still wrapping up Dark Tower. I'm kind of 35% through the final Dark Tower book. Then I'm getting back into Star Wars. Um, but I did take delivery of some prints, like we talked about last week, um, from my man Dan Ocock, um, local artist, designer, and a, and a mate of, of ours. And... and um, took a, a, a delivery of two Boba Fett A3 prints, one black and white, one colour, and then this badass, it's just down behind me actually, a badass uh, Millennium Falcon A1 print, which is pretty sweet. So I got a frame for that one. I, I'm kind of going to replace it in the future. I want to get a windowed mount frame in the future, but you can't really get them until the frame is open properly. Um, so I got a temp frame for it. So dude, that just, that's been my Star Wars really. It just looks badass. Um, nice, man. Really, really keen on that one. Yeah, it looks awesome. The A1 print in particular looks looks really good in the frame. Um, yes. So yeah, that's been my Star Wars stuff. Um, probably going to kick up Jedi Fallen Order again, actually, this week. Before I get into the next-gen consoles, um, I want to just wrap a few games up that I've been playing on the Xbox One and Fallen Order's one that I want to zip back through um so yeah that's been pretty much it dude yeah i can't wait to get back into replaying fallen order i've got it downloaded already on the new xbox but there's a couple of games to finish up i'm halfway through assassin's creed origins which is taking me bloody nice. forever to play through well does it to upscale then the xbox uh, series x will it upscale fallen order and is it it's all backwards compatible obviously yeah it's all backwards compat um it depends on the game i think with fallen order there's there's two different modes. You've got performance mode, which will take you up to 60 FPS, but it locks the resolution at 1080p. Mm-hmm. So it won't go any higher than that un- unless they release a patch that unlocks the resolution. Or there's the quality mode, I think it's called, and that will try and get you a... Depending on the console, I think that the Xbox One X will try and get you to a native 4K or there or thereabout, but it locks the frame rate at 30 FPS. So it's like a trade-up right. of like, you know. So I go for the performance mode. I'll take frame rate over trying to do 4k but the series x just blasts for it anyway like just anything you throw at it at the moment it just blasts out and like maximum quality it can and lock 60 man yeah it's good it's good can you see the difference uh you can feel the difference like i said the resolution is locked to 1080p so visually you mm. can't see any difference but it certainly is a lot smoother like it maintains that 60 fps like solidly pretty much throughout the whole thing yeah. so it feels like buttery smooth as you're playing it which is cool Whereas nice. on like my son's Xbox, he's got like the OG Xbox, the one that came out, I don't know, eight years ago, whatever. And that's really choppy. Like the frame rate dips all the, all over the place and it just doesn't feel consistent, man. So yeah, I assume the PS5 is a similar deal. Like PS4 games and stuff, you can just throw anything at it and it will it will play it nice, man. Yeah, it yeah. looks that way. 
I didn't even get a PS5. So they got the pre-orders came out just as we were like going through mortgage. And I was like, I can't really commit a grand because then like people see, we don't know when we're going to move. And then Sod's Law, we moved before it all came out. It didn't look like we were going to. So now I'm like, oh crap, I could have pre-ordered. But then I literally didn't want to commit the cash to it during move time. So bloody hindsight. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And just very quickly on video games, actually, anyone that owns Star Wars Squadrons, they've really done a good job with the next-gen consoles for that. So they actually released a patch for that. And that does push out like insane visuals. That will take you up to pretty much a native 4K while also unlocking the 60 FPS and all that. Like, it just plays and, and looks just amazing, Squadron. So anyone that's got a next-gen console, fire that up. It looks awesome. Yeah. That's badass. Yeah. Right, before we crack on with this week's episode, remember to subscribe to our show. We'd love to have you as a subscriber so you don't miss a show when it lands uh, in your earboxes every single Saturday. You can do that on whatever app you listen to your podcast on. Just do a search for Spark of Rebellion or head over to the website, sparkofrebellion.com. You can listen to all of our previous shows on there. We're on the socials too, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just do a search for Spark of Rebellion. You'll see us on there. We uh, chat Star Wars and post little tidbits throughout the week. So we'd, um, we'd love to have you uh, over there as well. And uh, lastly, uh, a big, big, big thank you to our current patrons who support us over on Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Spark of Rebellion. If you want to get involved in there, if you like our show and want to see us continue and uh, make it as good as best as it can be then um yeah you can do that over on patreon you can jump on from a dollar onwards upwards get yourself some sor swag and all the rest of it and uh yeah we know that um given this year and everything that's going on uh time's a little bit difficult so in you know absolutely not expecting anybody to 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 dive into their pockets um but those that have done that uh, a massive thank you it's uh, very much appreciated so um yeah, that's, uh, that's all the stuff you can do around the show. Now, moving on to our review for Chapter 12, dude. Uh, this was a really interesting one. We didn't know what we were going to expect on this one. So thus far, as we've gone through Season 2, it's very much been a case of the Mando needs to get to somewhere, but in order to get there, he has to do a favour. A little bit of a detour, a little bit of a Creature of the Week thing thrown in there. Not much in the way of really progressing the story that was that huge story that was set up at the end of season one with um with moff gideon and all that stuff last week we had a little bit of extra stuff thrown in they sprinkled a bit of lore over there which was really nice we got to see um uh, bo katan and some other mando stuff uh, this week uh, we didn't get so much of that it was it was a little bit of a of a sort of they stuck to the formula that we've we've come to know uh, in season two so the uh, the Razor Crest, looking beat up as always, lands. He goes back to Navarro, has to make a detour, lands there to get repairs done. Um, and as expected, uh, bumps into um, Kara and Grief. And uh, and uh, in order to get the ship done, which is going to take a little while, it's like we said this last week, it's like we'll do you a favour. You know, what favour? So we had that sort of thing going on. And then that's off. He's off. Um, it turns out that on Navarro, uh, Grief and Kara have done a pretty good job of getting rid of all the Imperial stuff that was left over, um, with the exception of, uh, well, all that we know about thus far is one one last kind of Imperial bastion, this big uh, base that they need to, to get rid of. So they, um, they grab the Mando, they head over there, wipe those guys out, and while all of that's going on, his ship's being repaired, but there's a spy in the midst 
um, the Empire or the whatever it's called at the minute, we don't quite know, um, has got a spy on Navarro, plants a tracking beacon on the Razor Crest, and to the delight of Moff Gideon, he can now track. So you can see that those two paths are going to intersect at some point. You can tell that as we get further into the season, the Mando and Moff Gideon's paths are getting closer and closer. They're going to meet at some point. And then we also get a little bit of expanded universe-ish thing right at the end, which was uh, which is interesting. So I want to get your thoughts on this one, dude, compared to what we thought it was going to be at the end of last week. What do you reckon to uh, Chapter 12, dude? Yeah, man, it's uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's it's um, and I know we'll get to, to to the specifics, but overall, it was um, it was a little bit similar to last week, where I thought to myself, "Do you know what? Here we go. It's got it is going to be a no mando. You hunt great, but I'm a great hunter." <laughs> and uh, it kind of started out that way, you know. Mando turns up, and they're all best mates, and you're like, "All right, that's weird. Like they're all best mates now." And how in the three weeks since we last saw. These people, you know, three what appears to be like three chronological weeks for Mandalorians. Uh, you know, he's not he's not been away for that long from Navarro. Like, how how has Apollo Creed's beard got that grey? You know, what's happened? He's had a rough month, man. So that's that was the first thing. Um, but like, there were a couple of fascinating bits in it um, that I thought are, are worthy of a mention. That, that, that are not really deep dive things, but just like the approach of Cara Doom and and, and Grief Karga to the to the to the kid. You know, they're really treating him like an actual baby. It's like, come here, you. Has he been looking after you? <laughs> you know, you're like, what? Like, what? You, you literally had a bounty out on this kid a month ago. Like, what are you, what's gone on? What has happened? Yeah. And we saw it in the end of, you know, Mandalorian season one, they all came together. But like, that was a jump, man. That was like a character jump that I didn't expect. Only a tiny thing. And it's it's obviously been written and directed like that because of the public's opinion now of the kid um you know so th- that was kind of nice but i think overall um it was nice to dodge the bullet again like i thought it was just going to be a procedural favor of the week again we've talked about it before it's like sometimes watching the mandalorian in the earlier part of this season was like playing gears of war like you get three minutes of, of story and then it's like oh look another arena where we've got to do the same kind of thing just so that we can move through it and you're like ah oh, come on this is boring um, but it kind of dodged that bullet and I think it did what it did the last week which was the bit that's the favour it did better than the first episode which was called The Marshal in that it got it got through it quickly and it, it wasn't as drawn out as The Marshal was it was still as steeped in the law and the visuals of Star Wars um, but they got through it quickly and they had enough, just enough story progression and badass choreography, directing, um, ideas in there that you kind of didn't notice it was a procedural kind of freak of the week sort of episode. Um, so it, it, for me, it just managed to toe the line all right. And it was, it was, it was interesting enough to be um, a positive step forward. And I think, I think what we said last week was pretty much bang on. Um, and what, what I like about what they did was rather than it being a, a really contrived, oh no, look, we've ended up on Navarro. Let's go, oh, let's find these people, you know, which a lot of TV shows do. They try and keep the mystery up when there's no need to. The Mandalorian just came out and went, ah, we need to go see some old mates because the ship's knackered. Let's sort it out. Um, so I, I like that they do that. I like that they're getting quite confident to just say, yeah, this episode, we're going to go to this place, 
that's the plot point. Let's see what comes of it. Whereas a lot of shows, they wouldn't do that. They'd try and keep that mystery up early and be like, ooh, where are we going? And it turns out to be bloody Apollo Creed. You know, it's it, so I, I like that they're hitting it on the nose and they did the same last week where we said, you know, the Mandalorians, Bo-Katan, they appeared very quickly and they were a big part of it very, very quickly. Um, so yeah, overall, all right. Got some deeper thoughts on certain pieces of it. Um, but overall... Yeah, I think it towed the line. All right, dude. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because we were worried that we were going to have just another filler episode this week and that we were going to have uh, just just nothing at all and they were going to wait until the last half of the season to sort of cram everything in, it felt like. So it was good to see. I want to pick up on Baby Yoda as well because you make a good point. The way that it was written, the... Um, because in, in season one, it felt like people didn't view and interact with it so much as a, as a, as a literal baby, small child. It was kind of like this mystical thing that people were unsure of and didn't really want to get too close to potentially. And it was a bit of a, um, yeah, it just felt like a bit like, yeah, it, on the surface, it looks cute and all, but we'll keep it at arm's length. You know, we're not quite sure. Whereas, like you said, because of the public's, like because it's just blown up massively and people love Baby Yoda, now they've kind of softened it a little bit. It's very much a, like you said, when grief picks him up, like literally holding a small baby, um, you know. And also, the, they've also ramped up the amount of baby sounds as well, which we didn't have in season one. In season one, it was like the odd little. And that was it. And now it's like these cute little baby sounds and stuff. And they've just ramped up the cute factor. Like the best bit was when uh, the Razor Crest turns up at the end and takes out the TIE Fighters. And you got little baby Yoda with his arms up like on a roller coaster and then throws up the food. Like really cutesy little stuff, which I think, you know, that's going to sell more baby Yodas, right? There's going to be loads more little kids that are like, yeah, I want a baby Yoda. But it's interesting that we still haven't seen any progression with, with the, that character as yet. This is all still very much a, um, like a go from A to B quest kind of thing going on. And we've had, like I said, we've had a little bit of lore thrown in around the Mandalorians from last week. But still nothing around, they, they're still keeping that, you know, the the insight into the species of Yoda and baby Yoda. They're still keeping that very close to their chest and, mm-hmm. you know, not much stuff going on with that. So, yeah, so I, I really like the Baby Yoda stuff and the direction with that. Um, but one thing I will say is that I would be very cautious of Kara's security uh, thoughts and stuff. Because when they get to the school, um, they just plonk him down. And uh, he's like, wherever the wherever I go, the kid goes. Kara's like, you know, he'll, he'll be safe here. You have my word. There's nothing around to suggest that it would be safe. It's literally just a classroom that you can access off the street. So that was worrying, dude. I did think that. And Sam was the same when we, we watched it. She was like, what? Are you kidding me? They're just going to leave him there. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, unless there's snipers on the roof. But yeah, it, it was. you're right about the baby stuff. Like they've really lent into the baby Yoda name. And, and, and the interactions, you know, that cute interaction at the beginning, they've really lent into that parenting. And I think what they're trying to do is show us the bond so that they can then rip it away at the end. Um, so that it's got much more dramatic effect. Because um, I do think we'll start to see a change. You know, the, there were a lot of catalytic moments in this episode. Everything from the fleet being uh, revealed, um, you know, the, the the allusion to a new order 
Um, you know, whether that's First Order, whether we, we still don't know whether this is the First Order or the Imperial remnants that are trying to build up a new splinter cell. Um, <clears throat> and it was it was fascinating to see that they'd built that bond and, as you said, put Gideon and, and, and Mando on a bit of a warpath towards each other. And I feel like that is that is now set to ramp up, especially if, if indeed next week is the introduction of Ahsoka Tano. You know, there's a heck of a lot that will that will need to go on with that. Um, and it's it's fascinating that they've really lent into that parenting, like that that bit at the beginning, you know, where he's trying to put the wires in. Like that was just, that was some of the best directed interpersonal stuff that we've seen on The Mandalorian. You know, that, that humanising of what is essentially a really badass character with something that it can't really communicate with. Yet now they're on a on a layer of communication. You know, Baby Yoda understands what the color red is and what the color blue is. Um, mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that that was quite an interesting little development, and I think that's intended to show that bond, um, which was quite fascinating. But you're right in in what you're saying about you know we've not seen anything around Baby Yoda or the the, the child, except for like its first use of the Force this season has been to steal some biscuits. You know, it's not, and I, I quite liked how there were blue biscuits. You know, allu- alluding to the fact that it's you know they're made out of the blue milk. Um, you know, it's that that was quite a cute little thing. But yeah, I mean, that's the first thing that we've seen, and 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 I thought that was an interesting episode to do it when you found out what was happening, which we knew about from season one. Like, there's no, I don't think anyone was surprised when Pershing appeared and we saw what was in the lab later on, which we'll get to, I'm sure. But I don't think anyone was surprised when we saw that, it was nice to see it, and it was like, oh crap, that's a real big thing, that's very fascinating. But I don't think it was a huge surprise, because of, I think we'd all anticipated they were drawing the blood. Um, and I think that they, they just threw that little bit of force use in there, just to remind us that that's why they want the kid. Like, don't forget that he can do this stuff. Um, so I th- it was, it was, it's just, it's interestingly constructed, and I think, like, Carl Weathers did a really good job of directing it. Like, a really good job. I don't know too much about Carl Weathers, uh, directorial career. Um, I should probably look at that. Um, but he, you know, he's 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 done a really good job of this, and he, he's it's surprising that he's um, he's he's been given this because it's a really big product for Disney Plus. You know, and to put you, you I don't say, oh, this is going to sound bad towards Carl Weathers. It's not intended to, but. You don't think a car whether there's been an A-class top-level director to be put in charge of the Mandalorian, mm-hmm. um, but here he is. You know that he's he's been involved in it, and he did a really really good job of it. So yeah, I was I was impressed with with that side of it. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think overall an interesting episode, man, and, and interesting movements. It's almost like getting the chest plate pieces in place, you know, and then the next. Yeah, you'd yeah. think the next half would ramp up. You'd hope so, wouldn't you? You would hope so. Yeah, yeah. You make a really good point around the direction as well. I thought about this after I watched it. I was like, crikey, that was a really well-directed episode. Like, because like, it had it had pretty much everything in there that would be a struggle, I would, I would say, for if you're not a director by as your career and you were just, you know, I think I'll try that. It must be difficult because there was like a lot of CG stuff in this one with the TIE fighter battle and and all that and the location work and the land speeders and uh, and a lot of character. I mean, I would assume that the character side of things is something that would be mostly natural to him just because he's been an actor for so many years and has worked on so many things. The, the, the dialogue side of things and the, the character in, interaction is probably 
something that he was really looking forward to. But uh, somebody that I'm guessing you might be able to tell me wrongly if you're looking up his um, directorial career, having to do like action shots, CG stuff, and all that lot. It's that's not easy, you know. I'm, I know they've got like a very big. Like we've seen that in the behind the scenes stuff of season one. There's a very big team effort and team aspect around everything, but still having to do that stuff, it's pretty, pretty damn impressive. Um, and it also, you know, it, it feeds into our theory, mainly your theory around let's get people on star Wars that know more than one thing. I need to make more sense of this. So we've said that let's get people writing and working on star Wars that have done it inside and out for years i think we first mentioned it back when we were talking about comic book films let's get the writers of these really good successful comic book graphic novel runs and people that have written for the comics for donkey's years let's get them at least writing the story treatment and getting that's their point of view across for those films it's a very similar thing with star wars you know a lot of the people that directed last year are actors themselves they're people that have been out there and have done you know, the acting thing for so many years and now you put them behind the chair or, you know, in the chair behind the camera, it's like they know all of that, all of that good character progression and that good character interaction. They've done all that in front of the camera. So um, it kind of feeds into that, you know, why instead of just hiring a bunch of directors who just direct, which is nothing wrong with that, get people doing it who have lived and breathed, you know, the, the industry for many years and, Carl Weathers, although he's not, you wouldn't associate him immediately with Star Wars, you know, did his thing back in season one. So he knows the drill. He knows the, he knows the drill. Yeah, man, it was, you're absolutely right. And I, I had a similar thought when he started to do that. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of callbacks to old Star Wars in this. Um, and the, the first one that I, that I really appreciated was him jumping in the, in the, the gunner seat um, you know, that was so, that was so Falcon, you know, that was so New Hope, that was so Force Awakens, like, they, they knew what they were doing with that, and it, it, you're right, it made me think, like, this guy actually directed that, and he's the one jumping out of the driver's seat and getting into this, and you've got to make it, you've got to think, like, you know, if he's directed, he's like, yeah, I'm going to be the one that's doing this, so I, I'm going to be the gunner, all right, so... This is not negotiable. This is I'm doing this like I'm going to do this thing, and then he managed to direct it in such a good way. And do let, like for a second, like if we just look at how Star Wars this was, right? The the base first of all felt like something pulled from Battlefront Two or Rogue One or Fallen Order. You know, you could see yourself attacking that base with Lando and trying to take down the weapons cache. You know, that was the base was so Star Wars. And then the speeder, or not the uh, sorry, the speeder. They were obviously the speeder that traversing uh, from right to left this time, not left to right. But you know that was clearly a throwback. And then just even the vehicle that they ended up stealing, um, and the scout troopers and everything. The vehicle in particular was it evoked everything from the train scene at the beginning of Fallen Order through to you know Rogue One, through to the scene with the stormtroopers in A Force Awakens right at the beginning when they're all just loading out. Like, it, everything was exceptionally well designed. But I think the, like, the total standout in this entire episode was, dude, the Razor Crest taking on those TIE fires. The way that that was directed, everything from the way it looked through the binoculars through to how it was framed, 
uh, it, like that was some of the best action and some of the best direction in there. And it came from Carl Weathers that no one, you, you wouldn't put him up there as like, you know, the A1 director of anything Star Wars. You know, you'd, you'd think a Ryan Johnson or a J.J. Abrams or a Lucas or a Filoni or a Favreau. And then Carl Weathers comes in and does that. And you're like, damn, son, that's badass. <laughs> damn, son. Yeah, I totally agree, mate. Yeah, the direction was on point. And I love the fact that you you felt like this was like proper Star Wars as well because as soon as you got to that Imperial base, when they, like, it's like every video game you've ever played when you've been on the Death Star or a Star Destroyer, whatever, or any uh, anything you've seen from like Empire Strikes Back or, or it reminded me of the base in Return of the Jedi when they're on the moon and, and, uh, it just, I don't know, it just, like you said, it's really, it's exceptionally designed. Everything had that more classic, this is interesting, isn't it? This is leaned, leaning towards the more classic era of Star Wars. They've not really taken anything, obviously, from the prequels. That's a long, long time ago. But even just the the aesthetic, like the look and feel, it just feels really OT, a lot of it. So all the stormtroopers, they, you know, they're just down. And we've got some scout troopers, like my favourite looking Stormtrooper in this one, the Scout Troopers, and the way that they, the way that they went over the over the ledge and like careered down the side of oh man, that was just that. Like you said, that was some of the best action, some of the best Star Wars stuff we've seen outside of one of the films. Potentially, it was just yeah, just badass man. And um, yeah, I just had a quick look on IMDb, and Carl Weathers hasn't really done a huge amount in terms of directing. The last thing he did was Hawaii Five O. Yeah, that's why I saw it, like Sheena or something. What the heck is that? <laughs> don't know, man. But so a lot of faith. To, I don't know which way round it was, whether he said, I want to direct it, or if they said, do you want a shot at it? Whichever way round, you know, that's a big, for someone that has that little amount of experience, that's a big leap. Apparently faith, he asked. Man. Okay. Apparently on season one, he asked. He just said, look, to Favreau, I really want to do this. And Fav's apparently said, let's look at it if we get a season two. And then sure, sure enough, he was true to his word. Um, he's, do you know what's fascinating about this dude is if you if you overlay the tumult that Kathleen Kennedy seems to have um, experienced throughout the the sequel trilogy versus what seems to be going on with the Mandalorian and that kind of inbuilt kind of I don't want to be cliched and say family unit, but it certainly feels that way. Like this is. It's like it feels like the way to get Star Wars, <clears throat> excuse me, back on track because there doesn't seem to be any problems with this. You know, you, like Doomcock's never saying Mandalorian cancelled. <laughs> He's always like, "I, Kathleen Kennedy, blah, 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 films." Like it seems to have pulled through a little bit and kind of taken its own because of the quality and the and the um, the response and the respect that it's garnered. It's almost like it's now stood out there on its own. Um, and it, it's sort of a it, this is this might be very naive, but it feels a bit protected from all that other crap. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, you're right. The uh, the sequel trilogy and Kathleen Kennedy have just been a, they've had a target on their back for it feels like forever now. But this seems like it's got its own. I don't know, like it's got like it's ring fenced from all the all the crap that's gone on with the the movie side of things. And I think that's a combination of fans just loving the whole the whole Mandalorian thing because it works on so many levels. You've got diehard fans that just love the whole 
deep dive into the Mandalorian thing. And then you've got kids that don't really care. They just like, oh, there's a dude that looks like Boba Fett. This is amazing. And then they don't linger too much within each episode on sort of the heavy dialogue and, and law stuff. It's mentioned in a round conversation, but the kids aren't sitting there bored because as soon as you've got that conversation out of the way, boom, you're into this big action sequence and the kids are loving it. Uh, so it, it, it works on so many levels. And because it's a TV show, even if it doesn't quite hit the mark, it's like, oh, don't worry, man, next week, next week will be a banger, I'm sure. Whereas with the film, you miss the mark, that's it. You've got no, you've got no do-over unless you go down like the whole um, director's cut stuff, like with the Justice League stuff. I'm not really sure. I'm not, I don't think Lucasfilm would do that. But yeah, man, from a TV perspective, you've got a bit more... I'm not saying that you would plan to fail, if that makes sense. You wouldn't be like, oh, don't worry if we mess that up. I'm pretty sure they're not doing that. But from a fan perspective, if you didn't hit the mark, it's like, don't worry, man, this is still like a freaking awesome. And if there were clangers like three or four on the bounce, then yeah, they'd be in trouble. But it just works. It works with the turtle. And I think it's, um, it's, it's testament to how they even name it. You know, they're calling this chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, you know, this is all one unit. It's all one story. And I think that, like I said, that tells in how they name it. But I think it also tells in how you might rewatch it. You know, I think you go straight through Mando and really smash it out and really think to yourself, actually, this is one big story. And it's not, even though it was released weekly, now when I go back and watch it, I see it as one big unit. And so that episode two that we got, that you know, had the nice call back to the Macquarie designed spiders, but actually ultimately was a bit of a letdown in comparison to the rest of the series. We're kind of all right with that because we're watching it as one one part of the bigger picture. Um, so I think when you see each episode in isolation, I think it's sometimes it's sometimes worth remembering. I think, you know, I think we do this and I think a lot of people will do as well. It's sometimes worth remembering. It is it is chapter oriented and it's just this is one chapter of the bigger story. And we don't know how far it's going to go. You know, we might get to a hundred chapters. I doubt it. But, you know, if we get to 50, that's a pretty long story. So, yeah, it's, I think it's the, the faith that we've had in it is, is, is well-placed, I think. You know, they, they don't seem to have let us down yet. Even the poor episode was, as a standalone episode, a good episode. It just, well, it's like we said before, in the context of an eight-episode series that has a lot to progress, they could have just done a bit more to progress it, that's all. You know, it's not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, it's just a, it would have been nice to progress it. So yeah, overall, man, solid, solid. A lot of stuff to dig into as well. A lot of, uh, lot of like little bits of nuggets of story progression as well with Pershing and so on. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think to the whole, um, midichlorians thing then? Because that's something that we know amongst fandom is not, not well received really. And not many people are, are into that whole, yeah, I'm not going to dive into that too much, but from the OT, the, the Force was always meant to be this mystical thing that wasn't explained and shouldn't be explained. And then from the prequels, it was turned more into a science thing with the midichlorians. They're kind of going down that road again, aren't they, with extracting blood from, from the child and all that stuff. So what's your take on midichlorians, dude, and not this mystical thing? Well, I was kind of all right with it um, because... You know, Lucas has created the sandbox. He's given us the rules. You know, that's that's how it works. It's like, you know, you can't really break the laws of physics. You know, that's the sandbox that we're playing. And whether we like it or not, that's the rule. Gravity exists. Midichlorians exist. Um, 
it was no surprise to see Pershing back. You know, we 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 clocked the Camino and logo in his arm in season one. Um, we knew he was doing something with cloning. We knew he was taking blood to infuse into something like that. wasn't a, a, a surprise. Um, I think if they'd have ignored it, it would have been you know ignore the midichlorians. I think it would have been prob- more problematic than putting it in because it would have left them in this no man's land. And what the Mandalorian does very well is like it did last week with the the uh, you know the offshoot of Death Watch turning into Mando's Creed and you know being traditionalists, um, children of the Watch, wasn't it? So you know. Th- they towed the line of, well, wait a sec, this thing says this and that thing says that. Man- the Mandalorian tows the line and, 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 and narratively comes up with very clever ways to explain it and canonicalize it. And I feel like that's potentially what, not necessarily what they're going out to do here, but I think they're respectful of everything that's gone before it. Um, and, you know, if you have someone cloning these people with a Camino uh, and logo on their arm and you look at what happened with Django and even the Emperor, it needs DNA. It needs it needs blood. It needs fragments of, of bodily tissue to create the clones. Like, it had to be addressed. You know, the midichlorians had to be addressed. If indeed what we suspected in season one comes to fruition, which is they are trying to clone some Force users, it, it was it was clear, or they're trying to make some kind of super soldier, whatever it is. You know, and I, I know there's that extended universe link that we'll get to later, but the... It had to be addressed. And I thought it was just, it was, it did what the Mandalorian does. Like not, there wasn't that much exposition. It was just like, yes, that does exist. We know it exists. Let's move on from it. <clears throat> you know, let's crack on and let's get on with it. Um, so it was, it, I thought it was quite fascinating. Like I've seen a few people online saying, did Gideon create Snoke? And you're like, no, <laughs> like this is an entirely strand, uh, entirely different strand of story. Like I would posit that Gideon and Pershing don't even know the Emperor still exists. Like, this is nothing to do with what the Emperor is trying to do or what he tried to do five years after Jedi. Like, he's just off on Exegol doing his thing. You know, his plan was to ship the remnants of the Empire off into the Unknown Regions to rebuild. And that was his plan in The Rise of Skywalker. We saw it, and we'll see that play out a little bit more. It feels to me like this is Gideon asserting power and using this as a way to build his own cell and his own little um, remnant so that he's got just enough power to control what he needs to control to have a life that is, you know, on par with what he had previously as a moth. So that that's that's kind of the take on it. I think it was I think it was integral to the story and I think they needed to address it. Um, and I think it's because the Mandalorian <clears throat> doesn't have to shoulder the burden of having created midichlorians. It just has to shoulder the burden of having to work with them in the sandbox. And I think it, it sort of bounced that very quickly, made it very clear that this was a blood game and we were after the blood. And, you know, that's it. We move on from it. So, yeah, I think it had to be addressed, man. What about you? How do you feel about it? Yeah, it was an interesting one when I first... So in that, they come across that hollow message, don't they? It's like mid-conversation that Pershing's having with somebody. And he says, he doesn't mention midichlorians. He just says... I doubt we'll find a donor with a higher M count. And you, you knew straight away that that's what he was, you know. So they didn't, it wasn't on the nose. So I didn't think, yeah, I don't think they wanted a whole slew of social media backlash with people using the word midichlorian. So, but yeah, dude, I just, and I'm not fanboying in like, yeah, I just really don't like the, the whole concept of midichlorians, dude. I much prefer the the initial 
George Lucas's initial thing of the force being unexplained. I love that. I love that it's a it's a thing that you can't explain. And if somebody is a force user, then they've obtained that by some sort of ethereal, you know, higher laws of the universe that you can't quite explain. The whole thing around being, you know, some kind of, I don't know. I just can't get my head around the whole scientific side of it. However, I do understand that with the whole cloning thing, like you said, it's necessary. You can't just have this whimsical theory that it's very wishy-washy and it doesn't make for very good storytelling because you can do that to an extent, but then when you keep, when you, when you're trying to progress a story around cloning and this whole thing around, because that clone thing that we saw in the tube, when they go into one of the laboratories, it kind of does look like the head shape and everything. It kind of did look like Snoke to a degree. So then I know you said that he's not responsible. You know, Gideon wouldn't be responsible for creating Snoke. This is like a separate, completely separate thing. But it does have a like an element or a feeling of interconnectivity, which is cool. So I get that you need to have that there to progress the story properly or sufficiently, should I say, without having to do that. You know, where does the force come from? Because that's a whole other story. That would be too big, too heavy to have in there. So, dude, I'm yeah. not, you know, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like, I'm going to boycott the show now because there's midichlorians in it. Absolutely not. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not, a, not a fan of the old midichlorians. But the whole cloning thing was interesting, dude, because, like you said, when the Emperor buggers off to Exegol and he's got his, old, his own plan and his own thing over there, which revolves around cloning, it's interesting to see that somebody else related to the Empire is also going down the cloning road. It's obviously a big thing. It's obviously like if you're a person high up in the Empire before it was destroyed, before the Death Star 2 was destroyed, if you miss the memo about cloning, you're probably not going to be around for much longer. It seems like it's a thing within the Empire, you know? Yeah, like the bit, the, the, the kind of backup plan. Um, mm. And what's fascinating about that, actually, so there's a couple of things that came from that because you made some really good points, man. The first one is like, we don't know what Gideon was doing before. You know, if you look at um, a good example of this is like Admiral Yularen, you know, we've seen him fight alongside Anakin for like years and years and then on the side of the New Republic suddenly just be transferred into an admiral in A New Hope and he's, he's a guy that dies on the Death Star as part of the Empire. And you're like, wait a sec, this guy was a good guy and he probably still thinks he's a good guy right up to the point that the Death Star gets blown up. And it just so happens that, you know, the story that was spun around the Jedi and and and, and the, the, the traitors that they were painted to be, the Republic just became. for the. This is something that we've not seen that much of, except in the books. For the most part, these people of that age, you know, of Gideon's age, you know, Giancarlo Esposito is what? He must be coming up to 60, but, you know, take 20 years off it. 25 years, he's still 35, he's a mid-level officer in the Republic when the Clone Wars is going on, you would think. So all of these people still think they're the good guys. And, and it's, that's a fascinating thing. Um, and it, it, it really interests me, that whole, like how deep you could go with that storyline is, is fascinating. We've seen it a little bit like in Lost Stars and some of the Aftermath stuff, that juxtaposition records of people... <laughs> just thinking that they're on the right side and, 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 and really us not having an argument against that because we've not seen both sides of the tale. We've just seen painted very clearly adversarial conflict between rebels, good empire, bad. Um, so I think, 
that's a very interesting thing to come from it. Um, the other thing as well is now that we know it's a midichlorian count play and they've thrown in there Qui-Gon Jinn's paraphrasing, you know, this kid's got some serious midichlorians going on, dude. You know, they've thrown that in. You know, we're not going to find someone with a higher midichlorian count. Do, do you think, because we don't know how Yoda's species ages, there was no reason for this kid to be born the same year as Anakin. No reason. Could have been 100 years old, could have been three years old. We have no no idea. They, they had that to, to develop. They could have chosen how Yoda ages. Because um, if you think about it now, like Yoda was 900 years old. Um, if you think in units of 50 or units of 100, you know, the, the baby's, what, one year old in, in, in relative terms to us, like dog years, you know? So Yoda should have been acting like a 10-year-old. Like, so the maths are a little bit weird with it all because of, you know, or, the, or a 20-year-old. You know, the the maths of the units of time, like the dog years scenario, it, it makes it makes no sense for them to say the kid is 50 years old unless there is some tenuous tie to Anakin. And now that we see midichlorian counts, because they could have made it up. to me, It would have been easier to say... The kid is four years old and he will mature at 20 and he will get 880 years of being an adult to become so wise as Yoda. But basically what they've said is that Yoda was probably acting like this like up to 800 years ago. He was probably still a kid 700 years ago because at 50 years, the kid's acting like a baby. At 100 years, he's probably acting like a toddler. At 150, he's probably that pissed off 11-year-old. And then it takes him 25 years to get to being an adult. <laughs> Uh, sorry, an, an extra sort of 150 mm -hmm. years to get to being an adult. So you kind of, it's weird, isn't it? Like, why would they bother with that that 50-year thing? It is, yeah, it is weird. And I'm sure there is a, I'm sure there's some kind of guide out there somewhere. Like there's the people that hand it, handle the story group stuff. Um, What's the guy? It's not Doug Chang, is it? Who's, uh, is it Doug Chang? Hidalgo, Pablo Hidalgo. Yeah, and some other people. I'm pretty sure that when the Mandalorian was being planned in its very early stages and, and fleshed out, they probably had an idea for that. And I imagine it was a case of, right, obviously we need to base most of it on Yoda, like you've just said, and his age and how he's aged. But I would imagine there's a little bit of rule bending going on, just a, a wee bit, because... What's going to happen later on in down the line with the Mandalorian is when we get to season, I don't know, eight, if it lasts that long, is time going to have hopped forward? Are we going to be like 300 years into the future where it's not about Din anymore? It's about his son, probably, or some other Mandalorian thing. And baby Yoda is now teenage Yoda, whatever it might be. They, I think it needs to be in sort of digestible blocks, this age um, thing so I don't I really don't know about that dude I mean I imagine they they know what it is I imagine they've got it planned out and mapped out and they know the rules around it very loosely but I don't know I think any I don't think we're going to see baby Yoda progress in age anytime soon put it that way um, but yeah it's fascinating stuff man the whole baby Yoda thing and I think we're going to I know you and I have said that they're going to ramp up the whole what's going to happen with Moff Gideon towards the last half of 
the season and how they're going to progress that and the face-off between him and the Mando and what's going to happen there. But I really think that the the Baby Yoda thing is a real slow burn. I think we're talking like seasons worth of time to talk about rather than episodes with that one. Yeah, I agree, dude. And like you say, it just fascinates me because they, they have, they've they put themselves in, in this position where they can't age the kid. You know, unless something happens mystically with the force that we don't know about, or his species. You know, maybe their species just just simply boosts in age. You know, they get to seventy five years old and suddenly it's growth spurt. Uh, uh, uh. You know, we we just simply do not know. Um, because you'd think at this point, like I said, the Jedi got a hold of Yoda at age two hundred. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he he would have just about been old enough to start the training. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Tell us a little bit about this extended universe stuff then. That was something that you threw in at the beginning. I'm curious about all of this. You're the EU guy. Hit us. I'm the EU guy. Um, EU guy. Uh, yeah, so we had, so right at the end, <clears throat> excuse me, we had Moff obviously pops back up. We had one of the Imperial officers say, yeah, yeah, man, don't worry. That thing you asked me to do, planting the tracking beacon, I've done it. It's all good. I'm not going to get, you know, that was one of those potential Vader moments. Or, um, you know, when someone says, is the tracking beacon? No, sir. He managed to escape. And then they just get killed instantly like a force choke. So the empire softened a little bit. People are doing what they're supposed to do. There's no drama there. So everything's good. And then we see uh, Gideon. He's in, uh, he's in this laboratory where there's like rows and rows of these big hulking kind of black armored things. And that was such a cool cliffhanger because that just got everyone talking because we don't see in detail exactly what these things are. And we haven't had any official thing from Lucasfilm on starwars.com or anything about what these things actually are. So this opens up the theory of, are these the dark troopers that we've seen in um, like the EU from like video games from like 10 years ago and some of the books and so on? Is this the dark trooper program? Are they invoking this thing around? And there's a, a couple of different ways they can go with this because in some stories, they've had the Dark Troopers be just all mechanical uh, robots, basically, um, that are just these big armoured things. And you, like, you, you bring these guys in when like um, it's not going your way in terms of a battle happening. We need some, some oomph. You bring in the Dark Troopers, like big tank-like things with loads of... Um, of weapons and so on, or could they go down the road, which I, we suspect is going to be the case because of the whole cloning thing? Are they going to have force-sensitive force users that they can have kind of this dark dark side of the force usage coupled with the kind of traditional Stormtrooper program? You mix those two things together, you've got this badass actual person in this awesome-looking suit that's a bit of a force user that would be you know, a real sort of real hard to handle for anybody, even the Jedi. So it's, it, this is like one of the coolest cliffhangers do because it's like, shit, what, what are these things? So the, the top theory out there is this is the dark trooper program, but th- this kind of links into the whole reason why they wanted the blood from the child is they could farm that midichlorian stuff and then clone, you know, get these clones rocking and rolling get them force users, couple that with the artillery side of things with the big stormtrooper stuff. There's your dark trooper. Moff Gideon's now got this absolutely badass because like you said, he's potentially building up his own cell, this remnants. 
but he needs a bit of firepower behind him. He can't go around the whole galaxy, you know, giving it the big one without the firepower and the, you know, the props to do that. So dark troopers, buddy, it's looking like that's a thing. What do you reckon? Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I would sort of suspected even that, maybe not dark troopers, but some version of that, you know, the, the whole super soldier thing right from day one, when, when we, when we realized Pershing was taking the kid's blood. Um, and I think what's fascinating with that is, you know, we, we've seen the cloning fail. We've seen Snoke's body not be able to take it. We've seen um, Ray's dad not turn out to be a force user, even after cloning. You know, we've seen now Pershing struggle, you know, and, and him, him admit that the bodies can't take it. Um, it could be interesting on that basis and then everything that you've just said, you know, what Ahsoka could then start to become in this because the way to take down force users is to throw Jedi's at them. So it, it just becomes fascinating. Like what else is out there? Well, are we even going to say like, see like Kanan's kid, you know, there's loads of these little things like this kid is, is now six, seven years old. You know what? There's loads of these little things. And the, 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 because there's no real force presence on the dark side at the minute, not even on the dark side, on the, on the empire side. So forget Sith, forget dark side in particular, I doubt that Gideon wants or cares about the dark side. He just wants force sensitivity that he can then train into being a bit of a bit of a bit of a goon with it. So mm, yeah. it's it's interesting, all these chess pieces, like we said, and this is why it's a nice little slow burner. But yeah, I think it was fascinating just to see that, you know, we potentially need some vessels for these perhaps quite frail bodies, but these frail bodies that we can enhance with this armor that, you know, the only thing we want these bodies to do is as long as they can stay alive and, and use the force and be mentally aware, you become some sort of watered-down Vader version as well. You know, it's sort of a, a parallel to what he was. You know, the suit is what keeps him physically going and it's his mind that keeps him so formidable. Um, so there's that. that's quite an interesting parallel as well. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, a re like you said, real interesting cliffhanger. And, and just one thing as well, like another call back to A New Hope, like how... Good was just the cruiser coming over the top. Mm -hmm. You know, just these guys know what they're doing, don't they? They do, man. Yeah, it's like they know me. Star Wars through and through. They know what they know their onions. And that's what's great, what we were saying earlier about this show in general, is that it just works on so many levels. That's the good thing. It's like new storytelling, new stuff happening, but it's all wrapped up in that really cool Star Wars y feel and vibe. Which is amazing, dude. So yeah, it would be interesting to see where they go with this from from next week. I I do agree with you still. I still think that the next four episodes are really going to ramp up and we're going to get Ahsoka in there hopefully next week. We're going to get some other stuff around Bo-Katan. Those guys are going to come back. I'm pretty sure uh, the Marshal is going to be back at some point, even though Cara Dune's nicked his title a little bit. And uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's um, And that was the other thing as well, oh, just very, very quickly. There was that really cool scene towards the end where mm. we had that X-wing uh, pilot, the policeman, the police. Yeah, re they're really doing the Dixon and Doc Green thing, aren't they? With the uh, with these um, stormtrooper pilots, like you know, Bobby on the beat with his little notebook, like yeah, what's going on? Really, 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 what's going on around here? So that was really cool. That conversation with with grief, and he was grief was basically like, look, dude, appreciate everything, but can you bugger off? You know, I've done a really good job of turning this place into a decent place now. Um, don't need your interference sort of things so bugger off. But then the, the, the very cool conversation was just around the corner when he bumps into Kara 
And we had that tiny little reference to Alderaan. And he was like, you know, I served during that battle and, you know, sorry and everything. And you can tell that was the first time that you saw her, an external bit of, um, mm-hmm. uh, what's the word? An external bit of, you know, that those walls coming down, if you like, because she's meant to be this yeah. badass kind of soldier sort of thing. Bit of emotion. Uh, in, uh, a bit of vulnerability is the word I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that was really cool, dude. That little, that little bit at the end um, that just kind of softened her character a little bit and, you know, and it's another, it's another throwback and another bit of interconnectivity to the film. So that was pretty sweet. Yeah, it was, man. I th- and there were a couple of things as well. Like I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that um, New Republic slash Rebellion logo. What was that communicator that you left? Some sort of like, give us a call if you see anyone. Um, you know, that was quite yeah. interesting. That's going to come into play. You know, they're going to need bailing out at some point and that will get pressed or you know they'll give him a give him a bell on the old sony sony mobile and uh, <laughs> yeah so that was interesting that was a very clearly a, a a little bit of a macguffin ready for next time you know one time in the future and i'm fairly sure i might be wrong but i'm i'm fairly sure that throughout that scene you had a very refrained version of the binary sunset force theme running through that uh, yeah there was yeah there was yeah, a very, um, it was like some notes that you heard then didn't go on to complete the, the what we know yeah. as the theme. It went off another direct, but just those couple of notes, you thought, hold on, this is the theme, but then it changes. Yeah, it's really cool. It was like an inflection point for it. It was when she yeah. turned around and it was almost like she had to make a decision on like, how do I sit with this republic? You know, that, that just that, just because she was part of the rebellion. Now she's a merc. She was an Alderaan. She got the ties to Leia. Um, in that regard, you know, she's she's seen the war. She's kind of, she stepped away from it to be a merc. Now she's taken responsibility for people again by becoming a marshal. She sort of resumed the fight a little bit on a more grand scale. And it was sort of like a little inflection point for like a decision point, I feel, just subconsciously. And I think that's just why Ludwig Goranson just, just pushed that little refrain. Like you said, it was like, it was just a, just, just the recognisable measures from binary sunset i think that was in there um and then it went off on its own thing so yeah very again just very subtly well done mm-hmm. yeah it was a nice subtle thing wasn't it but just uh aid so much in that awesome storytelling dude yeah it was good right i think we're gonna wrap there bud for 83 It has been great, as always, to um, watch the. Ma- it gives me an excuse to watch it more than once as well, because we have to talk about it <laughs> in the reviews. It's been great talking. First through. times to enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the mandate as we go through um, uh, season two. It's been awesome. Um, we still haven't got huge news, by the way, uh, to go through. If we do have any massive news drop from anything else in the world of Star Wars, we'll do that. But at the moment, we're just cruising through each episode and reviewing those. So yeah, it's been awesome, dude, to chat through another another week. Yes, it has. And looking forward to next week, big Dave Filoni episode. Very, very keen for that. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, thanks, dude. And thanks to everyone that listens, uh, the constant listener. We're, uh, we're seeing the downloads jump up. You know, anything with podcasting, we, we know his consistency. I mean, Gaz's uh, Big Blue Box podcast does does very, very well. And it's, it's, it's down to time that you've put into that one. And I think Sparky's just starting to 
tip over a little bit and, and gain a bit, bit wider of an audience. So it's really great to see the new people listening, the new downloads coming from across the world. So yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Really appreciate it. Yes, indeedy. Yeah, just want to echo Mark's um, words there. Thank you so much for anyone, really, that you've come across our show and you've decided to listen and, and come back for a listen. It's awesome to have you on board the Falcon. Uh, until next week for episode 84, remember to uh, subscribe to the show, whatever app you listen to your podcast on. Just uh, do a search for Spark of Rebellion. Uh, you'll find us on there. Uh, or head over to the website if you want to listen in your browser. Just go to sparkofrebellion.com and listen to all of our shows on there. We're on the socials too, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Again, just do a search, Spark of Rebellion. Uh, you'll find us over there. We chat Star Wars throughout the week, so come and join in the community over there. And if you like the show and want to support us, uh, you can do that over on Patreon. Just over to our Patreon page. Uh, it's patreon.com forward slash Spark of Rebellion. You can jump on from $1 upwards, get yourself your laptop decal sticker, display that proudly in your office or Zoom meetings. And uh, there are other tiers there that you can jump on. Uh, they'll get you some other stuff as well. And thank you so much to our current patrons. Your continued support is very, very, very muchly appreciated. So thank you very much for that. Until next week, please take care of yourselves, stay safe and healthy, and may the Force be with you, always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.